You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. I have another guest joining me today. I'm very excited to introduce you to my dear friend, Dr. Frank Walton. Dr. Walton has been a psychologist in private practice in Columbia, South Carolina for over 40 years. He's retired from practice, but he continues his outreach activities through which he has helped establish or strengthen the use of Adlerian psychology in North and South America, Europe and Asia. He's been a member of the faculty of ACASI, which stands for the International Adlerian Summer School, for 38 years. He is the author of several books and numerous articles and has produced a number of DVDs for professionals and parents. In 1988, Dr. Walton was the psychological consultant for the critically acclaimed videotape Teen Suicide and Approach to Prevention, which merited the Golden Eagle Award of the Council of International Non-Theatrical Events. One of his significant contributions to therapeutic practice is Dr. Walton's creation of the powerful technique known as the most memorable observation. And I'm going to put a link up to Dr. Uh, Walton's website as well, where he's got a wonderful resource page with lots of downloads. Um, Frank, welcome and thank you for taking time. Oh, Allison, it's so good to be here. It's always good to be with you, but I'm uh, looking forward to see what we can uh, do together today. So I wanted to start by letting people know, to your point, you, you have a wealth of knowledge about Adlerian psychology, and we could talk about so many different topics, but I specifically wanted to speak with you about suicide because you have contributed an article to the journal on teen suicide. You have created these uh, resources and, and training products. So clearly there was uh, something in your professional life that gave you a calling to to want to produce these resources? How, how did you get involved in teen suicide as a subject matter? Well, 
Okay, that's interesting, Allison, because it what happened years ago uh, was I was doing a public presentation at one of the local hospitals, and it was um, about helping uh, understanding teenagers and, and helping strengthen them. And then leaders in the hospital came to me uh, the following week and said, you know, there is such a need right now uh, for people to understand and deal with teen suicide. Could you relate what you're talking to talking about to teen suicide? So it wasn't my initial idea. It was uh, my idea was to help young people become stronger. But the, the, the people at the hospital directed me towards and offered to sponsor the development of the video Teenage Suicide Prevention. Wow. And well, we know that um, there's a real deficit of resources for um, adolescent mental health, anything pre- preventative or after they're in crisis, um, which is really a shame. Parenting through the teen years it tends to be a, a real challenge. It's very different than the younger years. And it's often when parents come for, for help and counseling. And I, I I know we're going to talk about the preventative part, but I, I just wanted to share with some of our um, listeners just how critical the suicidality rates have become here, that the Center for Disease Control has said that now um, that the rates of death by suicide in people 10 to 24 has increased 57.4% over a 10-year period, and this 10-year period was 2007 to 2018, um, and that it had tripled for young girls, and one of the most dramatic age groups was uh, the 10 to 14-year-olds, really are, are, are quite young quite young people. So now overall in the United States anyways, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for all Americans 10 to 34. Isn't, isn't that, aren't those sad numbers? Well, it surely is sad. Sad's a good word because when I see people fail to move forward because of a lack of a lack of confidence, uh, I think this doesn't have to be. This just doesn't have to be. And and so I know you and I and a lot of our colleagues around the world, for that matter, are are doing what we can to help develop the the psychological muscle, the strength that young people can develop so that when when things get difficult, their answer to it is, okay, I wish this wasn't here maybe, but at least I've got a good person to count on to deal with it, and that's me. And so, yes, it is sad, and uh, we won't focus on that so much as you could say the joy of discovering that I, how I contribute to it if I'm a young person or I'm a parent. Um, the most, one of the most powerful things we have to offer the people we're trying to help is to help them see more clearly what they're doing, what they're up to. And so the, we, uh, you and I are today are going to direct uh, some of that, that knowledge to helping your listeners spot how they might contribute to the difficulties that weaken children. So can you share with us then um, this, uh, how we weaken children or what we need to do to, to strengthen children? Well, one of, uh, one of uh, my uh, 
my mentor's chief mentor, uh, the psychiatrist Alfred Adler, said that the most important uh, role of a mother, and I guess today he would say mother and, and father, most important role of a mother is to spread the interest of a child away from himself to a father, to others in the family, and out into society so that young people approach life with a concern about not only themselves, but fellow human beings. When we allow a youngster to develop focus mainly on himself, of course, it, it is definition of selfishness. It is a, a, a way to expect other people should step in and make things work out for me. Allison, it's not that pampering is the only uh, troublesome influence for um, young people, but it far and away is is the most troublesome. I mean, it's, it's also difficult when we're uh, over-controlling, coercive. But if you really want to screw your kids up, do things for them on a regular basis that they could do for themselves. And so that's what we need to uh, alert parents to see where they unwittingly may be doing too much for youngsters, or they wittingly may be doing it because they think, well, that's just what a good mother does, um, or where they are coming on in a way that they are taking too much responsibility by controlling. But first of all, uh, I want to focus on, because it's so prominent, seeing where parents step in to do things for young people that they could do for themselves. Um, so I actually, I, uh, I have a, a short list of just a few of the common signs of pampering that uh, I could share with you. Oh, please, please do. Uh, this is uh, from my book, Winning Teenagers Over. And just let me focus on seven or eight of them. A parent who routinely calls a teenager more than once to get out of bed in the morning. A parent gets out clothes that a teenager will wear to school. A parent often washes clothes on short notice so the teenager will not have to wear a less favorite outfit to school. Parents involved in finding school books and articles of clothing for the teenager. Parent drives a teenager to school, though the teenager could take the school bus. Parent is frequently at school to obtain some sort of help for their son or daughter. Parent often asks teenager if he has homework. Parent helps teenager with all or some of his homework nearly every week. Those are just a, a few of, of the common characteristics that we find as a therapist when we delve into day-to-day -day living, looking at the pattern of interaction between mom and teenager or dad and teenager. I, I'm sure every listener is saying, oh, I'm so guilty of that, <laughs> of something on that list of seven or eight things. I think that because we see behaviors as being common, that we just assume that that's what a teenager is like. But in fact, 
in those families that have worked with Adlerian parent education or family counselor, when we have returned responsibility to kids, lo and behold, they surprise us. They, they, they do know how to pick their own clothes and they can get up <laughs> if we don't rescue them from that responsibility or rob them of that responsibility. They're, they're so much more high functioning when we get out of their business. Well, uh, it, it's true and uh, that they, they certainly can become better fu- function. And, and of course, then you have, the, you have the, the joy or the pleasure or the confidence that comes from knowing that uh, I can do it. Look, I did it, you know, and, and some, some young people go for so long without having that happen. You reminded me <clears throat> when you're talking about how common it, uh, those mistakes are, is that it, I have wondered whether we would forget what young people could do, and and it becomes so well. It's important for us us to um, to spot the remarkable differences that occur in one family, with a lot of emphasis on taking responsibility and solving problems, and also being concerned about fellow human beings, to the family next door where it's a free ride and the youngsters are develop as well, selfish and to some extent tyrants. And, and, and I guess really when we're talking about teen suicide, I, I should say that it's a short step between being pampered and being revengeful. You see, because it, the pampered child develops a notion that uh, don't you know who I am? You know, I am the apple of my mother's eye. People should step in and make things work out for me. And then when it doesn't happen, as they move out into life a little more and find out the world is not waiting to make their life work out for them, it the thinking is somebody should pay for this. And we know that uh, Revenge is almost always an element of suicide, and unfortunately, it's it becomes a uh, a short step. It, I guess the first step is you should give me service. The second one is anger. If you don't do things for me, I'll I'll force you to do it. And if that doesn't work, at least I can punish you. And sadly, uh, that is too often the case. But on the positive side. Oh my gosh, what difference we can make by spreading these ideas. Yeah, I was impressed in the article that uh, that you wrote for the individual um, psychology, which is our Adlerian journal. In that article, it talked about the too perfect, you know, that, that suicide was something that was not found so commonly around the, the people with socioeconomic disadvantage, uh, some of the things that we might think about poor struggling kids with tougher, with a tougher lot in life, that in fact, this was a bit of a privileged, comes with some privilege. And I think that speaks to the pampering too, the too perfect child in, in, until they're not. Yeah, um, it's, um, I, I guess the way I would like to help clarify that is that the goal begins becomes not to lend a hand, which happens when you are focusing on others as well as yourself. But when you're focusing on yourself, 
then the goal is to elevate yourself. Your, your value as a, as a human being becomes caught up in your successes and failures. And, uh, you know, not that, not that we want to preach being average. We want people to contribute uh, at a high level, but that the key word is contribute. It's not, it's not to prove that Frank is a worthwhile human being, but to see what I can do to, to lend a hand as, as we all pull together. Um, so yeah, it is, it, it can easily come out of the pampering situation, but also in the overambitious homes, it's worth citing that too, because it's a specific kind of relationship that, um, people need to be aware of that there's no room for failure. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate. You know, what we want to convey to our young people is that, uh, you're okay, period. Not that you're okay when you're successful. So those are, those are some, some thoughts. Some people run along kind of breathlessly. Some young people run along kind of breathlessly trying to get to the point that uh, they're worthwhile. And, and when they trip up or when they see they're not going to be able to make it, it's too important. And at a time when we ought to be able to smile at ourselves over our, our imperfections, uh, some people don't even have that in their repertoire. Yeah. And so that's uh, that loving unconditionally comes from parents who have learned the great art of, of encouragement. You know, we talk a lot about encouragement as being uh, one of the fundamental tools of parenting. You know, uh, can you say more about how encouragement fits into that? Well, uh, let me, when we, as we talk about teenagers, I like to help parents see how they can build encouragement into day-to-day living and to probably well, surely one of the most helpful techniques is to invite young people towards adulthood. Uh, even if you're eight or 10 or 11, you can be invited to do things that in some other homes, people would only think those are adult tasks. And yet we can just see the glow on a, on a young person's face so often when they're um, invited to do something for the first time that up to now they thought it was beyond their years. Uh, so that is uh, something parents can focus on to think, now, wait a minute, we have had this history of solving problems this way in this family. This is dads, this is moms, this is adults, but somewhere around the age of 14, 13, you can really focus on the fact that the teenagers can do almost anything we can do, and sometimes even better. Um, and, and so to uh, pull back and have the generosity and good mental health of inviting young people to solve more of day-to-day problems in, in the home. And also, uh, Allison, much, much more in the schools. It, it's 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 a wasteful that, that we do not take young people in the schools in into a partnership. There's so there's so much to do in a in a school of you know a thousand people or two thousand people or whatever. And look at all the resources we have. The rest of the young people 
who don't have to be treated that they're as if they're not ready for prime time for endlessly. And so th those are some things that uh, we uh, we can focus on and think what what is there in, uh, that uh, could be done that is adult work right now and invite them towards it. And and if we're if we're premature and we find out, well, it, it didn't it didn't work out. Okay, so a mistake is just a chance to try again. So we don't we don't have to focus on that. All right, you can't you can't handle that right now, but that doesn't mean in six months you can't handle it, six months from now. So to to, to have that um, that third eye, so to speak, uh, in the distance of where, what are we shooting for? What else can my young people do? Because my job is to work myself out of a job, slowly but surely, but not too darn slowly, all right? Yeah, usually we are underestimating and infantilizing rather than making the air of too much burden. That's I think that's far rarer, certainly in, in my practice. It's the undershooting, not overshooting. So if you're a parent now and you've got concerns because your child is, you know, disengaged with online learning, they've lost their friend groups through social media, and they're sort of isolating in their bedroom and feeling things are meaningless. How's a parent to know, you know, what is the malaise of living through a pandemic? Uh, how much is a teen being hormonal and wanting to be private? And when do we worry that it's depression or, or, you know, suicidal thoughts? How do, how do we, how does a parent tease that out as a, as a lay person? There is some, uh, some helpful experience uh, through the years of, of, of realizing, uh, even though it's a surprise to some parents to realize that uh, it really helps to just to ask your young people. Now, now you've, You've got to talk yourself into having an, an encouraging attitude towards approaching them when uh, when you're asking them about their problems. But when you cite a cup uh, a, a sort of be a kind type of behavior that your worries you or your husband, um, and then simply to to bring it up. And what we find is that it can be a relief to young people instead of keeping it all so privately that they're, it's been so bad, mom, it's been so bad. Oh, it's it's so good to talk with you about it. I, I don't know where to go. It, it, it's so, Allison, responses in that vein is or what we see is, is that relief. But at any rate, let me not make a, a short story longer, let's say, to ask uh, youngsters when we see that things are looking bad. And, and of course, we see the various signs. One of the most prominent, difficult ones is uh, if there is an attempted suicide, and especially a failed suicide, both need to be taken terribly seriously. We know that a person who makes one attempt on his life is 10 times more likely than the average person to end up taking his life. You've mentioned a too perfect individual. Sometimes uh, if a, a young person feels that they have a, a recent loss, 
that can precede suicide and we know in some some homes uh, a suicide threat or other statement indicating some desire to die or to end it all or to be out of here uh, some research shows that 75 percent of suicide victims have mentioned in one form or another taking their life and then we see the attempt to make final arrangements where some young people will give away prized possessions as they anticipate ending it all. And, and in terms of personality, a drop in performance of, of a normally conscientious, hardworking individual, withdrawal, mental depression, changes in appetite or sleep pattern, mood swings, um, uh, not only depressive behavior and passive behavior, but also aggressive or hostile and and once in a while unexplained euphoria, which which we think comes from uh, the decision that a person makes. They've already made a decision. I'll, it's over. I'm out of here. I'm finished with this. And then there has a sense of euphoria that it's it's over. My my problems are over. So those are some of the things that we've seen or people believe they've seen or research has shown they've seen that uh, can alert them, along with the more recent uh, influence of bullying. A young person who's been bullied is somewhat higher at risk too. So those are some things that uh, we'd like to, parents to be alert to and to speak about them. And then of course, our roles come in as therapists, uh, which if we're, I think we're talking mainly to parents today, but I, I can uh, share a few ideas about what's on my mind when I sit down with a, a family. Yeah, what, what would what would that look like? And for, for those people that don't know how counseling works or for teens that are, you know, feel some shame around seeking help, you know, uh, it would be helpful to peek inside the doors and know what to expect. Well, uh, it would be rare that a youngster, a teenager would ask to make an appointment to come to see the therapist, but that, that, had, that happens. Usually uh, it, it's a parent who is concerned about some behavior. And I mentioned how important it is uh, to help a, a client understand more clearly what they are up to, what they're trying to accomplish. But I'm less likely, I'm unlikely to do that in a situation in which we think, believe we have a suicidal youngster. What's important at that time is, uh, is caring, acceptance, empathy, understanding. So I'm not about to show the youngster what he's up to because it's not so attractive. I, I, that's It's important that I do that, that we do that as therapists, but not not today, not probably this week. What we are concerned about is letting this person know that he's among some, someone who really cares about him. So I would be probably probably be finding myself saying, um, you know, Jim, I don't profess to know what it's been like for you, but listening to what your your mom and dad have said, I, I think it's been 
a difficult time. Is that true? And so we look carefully, uh, always with, with a sui potentially suicidal youngster, I'm watching so carefully for any kind of a sign that indicates uh, I'm making a difference, that you're with me. Because if I'm not, then we may have to make some other sort of referral. So I'm looking for this, this sigh, the heartfelt sigh, the sometimes a smile or just simple agreement. It's been hard. Uh, it, it's been so hard. And then, um, Allison, I, I would like to know that um, there are choices. At least there are choices. Uh, I certainly don't want to be critical, but I, I want probably to say, you know, Jim, I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but one of the most beautiful qualities of being a human being is that we absolutely can choose our attitude towards every situation we face. I know you're focusing now on the difficult part, but I, I just wanted to share that to you, that thank goodness that there is that freedom to change our mind, to change our thoughts. And um, now I would like to continue to meet with you. I wonder if if it's okay that we have an agreement, it, you you won't do anything on purpose or accidentally to hurt yourself before we can get together on Thursday. Is that okay? And again, I'm listening so carefully and watching so carefully because if if it's if it's just a sham, if there's just a plastic response, then uh, I better help the person move on to uh, a residential situation or to another another sort of help, which would probably be a, a psychiatrist uh, at least to start because then the, the young person, if necessary, could be placed in a, um, for inpatient treatment somewhere. But um, anyway, those are some things I'd, I'd, I'd like to uh, leave them with a, a, a little bit of a, a glint in their eye, a smile, or a, a, some sense that uh, I never thought about it that way. You know, we, we really, we really choose uh, our, our attitude towards every situation. With the parents, I want to focus on on, on them, which which by the way, I would see the parents um, in the same day, but not at the same moment. Uh, see them separately. And I, I want to get a uh, begin to get a glimpse of the interaction in that home, but I, I want to help move them away from any sense of uh, criticism, criticism, and, and so more towards acceptance, and also the um, eventually, before long, but it's different for each family. We want to focus on the specific interaction at seven o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock at night and, and see what's really happening and help them to see where that may contribute to the problem in a discouraging way or, or in a weakening way or in a critical way and instead substitute those techniques that can communicate, you're all right. Mm -hmm. oh, those, are, those are some things that would be on my, my mind how else could I, I be a help? What, what could we move towards? Uh, I'm happy to try to be of use when, 
any other way that you think. Are you are you saying this to to me and our, yeah, our topic, yeah. or or, or to, oh, I thought you were talking I'm, to the to the, cli- I'm sorry. To I the was client? Step, <laughs> I, w- I was stepping out of the role playing. Okay. I was. I you had me hooked. I was still in the role play. Um, <laughs> well, I I was thinking about our um, our family meetings, which is a, an Adlerian idea of of implementing democracy in the home and inviting kids to contribute to the functioning of the family through their ideas and problem solving and having a voice and um you know that one of the great uh benefits of having a family meeting is we're really teaching kids to exercise that skill of problem solving and 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 trying different things on uh, going at life, seeing it as something that's solvable. You know, maybe not the first week, maybe not with the first idea, but but over time and with support. And I think about that as being a, a mindset or that uh, and and a tool that by the time you hit adolescence, if the problem that you're facing feels unsolvable and you don't feel you have the agency and that someone else is supposed to fix it for you, that's quite difficult. But if you've had a good go at just solving social living in the family, how much you've, you've had, a, you've had lots of practice by the time you get to, to adolescence and, you know, you face yeah. whatever might be that first challenge. Yes. And, and, uh, uh, in, in the home, sure. Yes. Uh, that's paramount, but, uh, that's not the only way we, in this day and age, when we have so many young people in childcare, it is certainly could say the responsibility or the opportunity for young people to make, begin to make choices, even, Oh, two and three years old to make some choices, but to have even more formal discussions from about age four in the in the childcare center, and and um, and of course to change in the primary and uh, school, elementary school, and, and secondary school, it can be a um, a different ball game. It's 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 changing somewhat, but it's remarkably different from. Well, of course, days of yore when I was in school, but uh, nobody asked you your opinion about anything in those days. You just do it the way it's supposed to be told, uh, do as you're told or whatever, and we'll we'll make the decisions for you. And uh, gosh, almighty, the, the great sense of uh, confidence that can come by participating in decision making is 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 very valuable um and also well we're, we're on the subject I, I came across a piece of research uh some time ago that i i'd like to share that points to doing things contributing making a difference and um i'd like to, i'd like to read it uh, the summary of it it's a uh the relationship between being a responsibility taker as a youngster and leading a happy and productive life. It, this, this research was supported by a 40-year-long study at Harvard, which included 456 teenage boys. So it was a big study, and it was a long study. And when they were compared at middle age, one fact stood out. Regardless of intelligence, family income, 
ethnic background, or amount of education, those who had worked as boys, even at simple household chores, enjoyed happier and more productive lives than those who had not. The link between what the men had done as boys and how they turned out as adults was startlingly sharp. Those highest on the boyhood activity scale were twice as likely to have warm relations with a wide variety of people, five times as likely to be well paid, and 16 times less likely to have been significantly unemployed. The group who had worked least in childhood were far more likely to have been arrested, 10 times more likely to have been mentally ill, and six times as many of them had died. That's a, a, a powerful study that we need to, to keep in mind. So uh, even from very early early years, youngsters could do productive things. Yeah. yeah. A, a woman from a previous podcast was uh, basically said, if you're having trouble with kids, it just means they're underemployed. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to, to, to up our game. Um, so one thing we have not talked about, and I know a lot of parents um, are more informed by the biological storyline that says, oh, our kids are suicidal because they're depressed and they're depressed because they don't have serotonin and we should just put them on an antidepressant and we don't really need to do talk therapy at all. Um, that's a, that's a common mindset, just medicate them. And th they're just having a biological oopsie doodle. <laughs> well, it, it's not very wise and it's a cop out. It's, it's, um, asking to be excused from one of the most delightful jobs in, in the history of mankind, which is to raise a young person in a way that he's a responsible and contributing member of society. So I, I put it in those terms because people may not think about it that way. I'm saying you're asking to be excused from uh, taking responsibility. I'm not gonna preach anybody into making a change in what they're doing, but I do think that you and I and others can help people run into information that says, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. I'm making that mistake that Frank Walton's talking about. I never thought about it that way. I never thought about it. I'm teaching him to expect other people to solve problems for him. I never thought about that I'm denying him the opportunity to solve problems on, on his own. And at any rate, as we, we get the information out in, a, in our, our books and our lectures in our uh, therapeutic sessions, well, hope people I hope it will spoil uh, the simplistic approach of um, drugging kids up. Yeah. And it, it happens so early on. We, of course, need to refer to it, uh, to the, uh, the uh, influence when uh, youngsters are having troubles in, in school, just academically, how how common it is for people to prescribe drugs or ask someone to prescribe and keep moving around to a different physician until they'll find one who will prescribe drugs. And, and, and we also have those, those teachers who think uh, in a similar way, 
let's make my job easier. Have your kids drugged up, you know? And it's astounding how large a percentage of youngsters can be um, on some sort of uh, medication. And you can, you can go into a school at times and see a long line at certain times of the day. And you say, what's, what's that line for? Oh, that's, that line is for kids to get their medication at 1030. It happens. I, I, I want to be careful not to see, sound critical, but it, if, if it seems like it, it disturbs me a little bit, it's right. It, it disturbs me because we're selling kids short in their ability to solve problems. I, I agree. And I think we have a moral duty, you know, that we judge a society by how well it treats its kids. And when one of our leading ideologies is to, to, to drug as opposed to, you know, our, our uh, viewpoint of, of behavior is being understood in a social context and our challenges are social challenges and we need social solutions to those challenges. Um, you know, we need a, a bigger voice out there. So hopefully this, this podcast and the work that you and I do uh, keeps spreading, keeps spreading. People like the podcast, forward the podcast, <laughs> no, learn more about Adlerian psychology and that there is another way. And, and one day will be the dominant ideology. Won't, won't that be great? Well, it will be. You're reminding me something. Uh, one of my youngsters said to me at a <laughs> at a family meeting many, many years ago, and she she said, "Oh, Dad, you're polluting the neighborhood with Adlerian psychology." <laughs> well, you just keep on polluting. Uh, you just keep on polluting as long as you can. Uh, is there uh, is there anything else to this conversation that you feel we've missed, or that you wanted to make sure got highlighted to to the parents? I don't think so at this moment, Allison. I'm I'm. Uh, I'm pleased to see how you helped us cover a lot of ground, a lot of topics. Uh, it kind of surprised me, but I, I think that'll be a help to your listeners. So I, I have nothing else to say, but uh, keep on with your good work, dear friend. Oh, well, you are a, a treasure of a friend to me and as a mentor. Uh, and um, you've been so supportive of my career and um, I, I miss you terribly. Um, this is a shabby second to really being there. Uh, for I'm going to not only put a link to your website so that people can find those downloadable resources. There's lots of articles and, and um, a wealth of, of papers that you've written. But as well, I'll put a link to the um, South Carolina Adlerian Society. You put on a fantastic conference every year. I'm assuming that'll be online and uh, until our social distancing rules uh, allow us to gather again. Do you know what the conference plans are for this year? The, the plans are to held it October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We just met, our executive committee just met last uh, week, and we've decided that we're heading in a direction that we want to do it in live. Oh, great. We, we can. Uh, we are at a, a point where about half of our uh, active membership has been vaccinated twice. And uh, so we still have a lot of um, a lot of months before October 1st. So that's our plan right now. 
we're going to move to a site that is less expensive for our participants, but still right on the ocean in Myrtle Beach, and that's the Landmark Resort Hotel. But we'll be getting word out about that. And if you let pe people know about the uh, my website, as you say, uh, Allison, we have uh, various publications people could get, but a lot of uh, papers and articles that are you just uh, free for the downloading. Take them and put them to use. Uh, thanks a lot for thinking of that. Yeah, wonderful. Well, I'll have to set my sights on getting my second vaccination done before October. Maybe I'll be able to come see you. I've had my first one. That, so that we're, a little, great, we're a little slower great, here in Canada. Thank you. All right. Well, love to you and your whole family. And thank you for your uh, your time and your wisdom today. Thank you. You are so welcome. Bye now. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.